Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsa, founder of Purpose Creates Impact, host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where you will find the inspiration to get over your struggles as a teenage kid. I was bullied, had anxiety, depression, had friends pass away, and battled confidence issues for a majority of my life. Whether you have the same issues as me, feel lonely, face challenges in your home or in school, I'm going to be interviewing people who overcame these struggles and provide you with tips on how you can overcome yours. By the end of this episode, I want you to rate and comment on what you think of the podcast. This will allow the podcast to be ranked higher and serve more teenagers. Hi, everyone. This is Shlomo Salson, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me, Matt G. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great, Shlomo. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Matt is doing some awesome things. He's built a phenomenal and powerful brand on Twitter called Unwasted Mind. What, almost 40,000 followers? Yeah, I'm I'm getting close to that. I think it's at 39.2 as of right now. <laughs> 39.2. Very close. You're about to hit that mark. But he's he's doing other stuff. He's um he writes a lot of good content about his past history on mental health, spirituality, personal growth. He also has a podcast on wasted mind. He just started it recently. And today we're going to talk about some of his struggles. He's Seems like he, even though he's doing a lot of good stuff, just like all of us, he's gone through some type of history. I know we're talking and there were points where uh, Matt was had anxiety, depression, wanting to commit suicide. He's lacked confidence. He, even though sometimes he was popular, he didn't feel like he was wanted at times. He... He's had death of a loved one, parents divorce. He's been insecure. Family put too much pressure on him. He's been a people pleaser, felt inferior. He always felt stressed. He hated being alone. But these are just a lot of problems we all go through. And I'm going to let Matt explain his story. Yeah, man. So, you know, when I look back on my entire life and what led me on this path, it's easy to want to forget about certain phases and that experience that is maybe was too painful for you to, to want to include in, in part of your journey when you're telling your story with somebody. When I look back on everything that I've gone through, it goes all the way far back to even in elementary school. You know, I can remember being seven, eight, nine years old and dealing with certain things that you just listed. And the older you get through your developmental years, those things start coming to life in different ways, relationships with your parents, with your friends, with potential romantic partners. And the older you get, they continue to manifest without you realizing it. And the habits that you form as a result of that, based upon ways that you're trying to cope, they just get worse and worse and worse. So with my journey from you know junior high, struggles that I had in junior high, high school, college, early adulthood, you know, all the way to where I'm at now, yeah, it's it's become a, a hell of a journey to really unpack it all and find different ways to resolve some of those issues that you just listed. And I'm still learning how to do it myself. And I would say the, the highlight moment 
would probably have to have, have to have had occurred after my sister died. I was 11 years old. She died at seven. She was born with uh, epilepsy and cerebral palsy, so she couldn't walk or talk. She needed to be in a wheelchair all the way up, you know, from from the point of I guess of being a toddler all the way up into her death. And uh, after that. My parents got divorced, you know, about two years after. So from that tragedy all the way through my developmental years, uh, I ended up realizing that it had this effect on me that I never really dealt with. And I found ways to escape through the typical things that everybody ends up escaping through. Drugs, alcohol, you know, people pleasing, um, for just trying to find ways to feel important or feel like you matter or feel like you value, you know, you have value in some way. And you just, you fall into this really weird cycle of behavior and, you know, your thought processing and trying to avoid recognizing the things about yourself that you don't feel comfortable with or that you're insecure about. And so you spend a long enough time avoiding those things and not including them as far as, you know, being aware of how they're affecting you in different ways. You just find different ways to ignore them. And eventually they just get worse and worse and worse. And it reached a point to where, when I got into my very first serious, serious relationship that looked like there was a future ahead of it, you know, some type of uh, uh, idea that there was going to be, you know, that I was going to get married and have kids and have a family. When that didn't work out, I spiraled out of control into a deep, deep dark depression. And it was what at age that is point. This? I'm sorry? What age is this? This was last year actually so okay. i was 35 years old when it all came to a head i mean i had gone through various struggles earlier than that there are various phases late teens early 20s mid 20s all the way up to about 30 that i would fall into these different series of you know just being depressed or being sad or being uncertain or, or whatever it was that was affecting me but i would just use my typical ways of coping drinking drugs you know, promiscuous behavior, whatever you want to, whatever you want to use as your vice. I had a good handful of them that really wore down on my mental health for a long time without me recognizing it. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I went through that last year, that forced me to, to sort of come to this crossroads and be like, okay, dude, what are you going to do? Are you going to live through the next 10, 15, 20 years of your life? with these problems following you and affecting the next relationship or what, you know, wherever you're at career wise, or are you going to actually do something about it? So I am still, even though I'm in a far better place now that I was, let's say this point last year, uh, I'm still learning how to handle and deal with everything on a regular basis. But looking back on it all and where it all started, that's 20 years, man, 20 plus years. You know, that's, that's all. Let's go back to um, 11 years old. Okay. Um, when your sister died. Um, the reason why, because I know I had four fraternal brothers died and I went to um, four funerals where I've, I saw four families, parents buried their child. And it's really not easy to witness. Um, how long did that really take you to get over that situation or is that something you were still going through you know honestly because I was so young I was only 11 years old I didn't think it was that big of a deal only because I didn't understand it and I just assumed it was a part of life and she she already had her own physical disabilities before that so 
I saw how it affected my parents and I was more concerned about them. Now, I personally didn't even understand how that grief affected me until as of recently, until I actually did start doing things like seeking counseling or therapy or, you know, other ways to talk to a professional that helped me recognize that like, yo, these, these insecurities that you have, this abandonment feeling that you have deep down, it started all with her. So I think I just buried that deep down and just didn't touch it forever, you know, throughout the pretty much up until, like I said, last year. And even though I would be okay with talking about it, I don't think I ever really opened up with how it really affected me deep down until recently. So I'm still learning the ways that it may have affected me in some way, you and know, even, parents, to, even to this day. And divorced two years later, so you were 13. I was 13, 14, two to three years, somewhere around that time. Uh-huh. They, had, they had gotten separated a little bit, but already having problems until it finally came to it, you know, came to a head. And then they separated and got divorced after that. So, and again, that was something that because I had already developed these people pleasing behaviors or this mentality, I didn't want to let that affect my relationship with them or with other people. So I didn't want people to look at me like, oh, this kid's parents are divorced. Like, you know, there's what makes him different than the rest of us, especially when you grow up around a bunch of kids who seem well-rounded. When you grow up in like a middle-class, upper-middle-class environment. So I didn't talk about that a whole lot. And yeah, but that in itself also created a whole crux of problems as well throughout my, I guess, my early adolescence. Mm-hmm. How did be- how how did your parents' divorce affect you specifically in the next four years when you were in high school? Dude, honestly, I became very emotionally detached and I became a rebel. I rebelled against every authority that I could. Teachers, parents, parental figures, you know, would-be mentors, anyone who was older who had some type of uh, influence on you in some way that felt like they could actually tell you what to do or they wanted to give you some type of guidance. I rejected it all. And I pretty much told everybody to go to hell. I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do with my life. And I did whatever the hell I wanted. That's when I got into, you know, drinking at 16, 17 years old. That's when I started experimenting with, you know, on the lighter end, I guess, smoking weed. But then within a couple of years, you know, I was trying whatever kind of drugs that pretty much anyone threw at me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, yeah, I became extremely emotionally detached and just anti-authoritative. Any type of authority, I didn't want anything to do with it. I mean, it didn't matter what it was. I could, I hated police. I hated anybody that thought they could tell me what to do with my life or set me any, set any type of rules. Yeah, I rebelled against all of it. I think that was probably the the biggest response to that that I can recognize as of right now. Do you have a specific example of when you rebelled in high school? like a specific scenario that you still remember? Uh, I think it would have to do with just me acting up like in school, like in class. And anytime that a principal, you know, cause I got, by the time I was a senior in high school, I got sent to the principal's office like every week for, I mean, the principal knew me by first name and I was always in there. Now that I look back and think about it, anytime that they had some type of punishment they wanted to, you know, instill, I would just blow it off. You know, whether it was after school detention or whether whatever it was, I would just ignore it and just let it go. And I wouldn't go. I wouldn't attend. I would, you know, would just pretty much tell them to piss off. And if they tried to if they tried to reach my parents, they couldn't because my parents were themselves were going through something each individually that they just didn't care to like with messing with any type of behavioral disciplinary issues in school. So it, it was just the way that I reacted. Like I said, to teachers and principals alike, you know, I just 
pretty much acted like they couldn't do anything to me. So I just didn't care. And they became very uninvolved with school in general, period. Did your parents really pay any attention to you after the divorce? No, honestly, they didn't. They were actually very neglectful. You know, they just didn't want, I mean, they, whenever it was an inconvenience or it bothered them, any type of disciplinary action that the school took, yeah, maybe they came down on me or they griped me out or whatever, but they didn't do, there was no, no real punishment. So I guess subconsciously, I kind of felt like no one, no one gave a damn. So, you know, I just kind of would blow it off. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. And I pretty much convinced myself that I didn't need to follow any rules. Cause it was like, ah, my parents don't really care. You know, what are these teachers and these principals going to do to me after I graduate? They can't do anything to me. So to hell with what they have to say. I just didn't want to hear it. It's crazy that you say that because I'm kind of learning this now after I've been doing youth leadership programs for two and a half years. The first year and a half, two years, I was coaching kids who had a good family where the parents pushed them to do well. And it was a lot easier teaching those kids but about recently, about about four or five months ago, I started teaching kids who don't come from good um, households. And what um, challenges I have is getting them to either do homework or getting them to actually get up and give a speech or getting them to do anything. My first reaction is getting mad. But then I kind of hold myself back and realize that it's really not them rebelling against me. It's that there's some issue going on at home. Someone's not paying attention to them. Something happened in their life where they just don't want to do anything. And that has nothing to do with me. And I remember this girl wanted to stand up, didn't want to give a speech. And I'm, in my mind, I, I just wanted her to give a speech. And I had an outside talk with her. I'm like, you know, what's up? Why, why aren't you giving a speech? And she said, I've just been going through a lot this week, been moving, been stressed out. And kids rebelling is a way of them kind of taking their struggles and anxieties and pressure off of them. Interesting viewpoint. So did you have anxiety or depression in high school? I did. I really did, but I, I didn't recognize it. I, I, I tried my best to not, like I said earlier, like I try to not identify with it because I felt that that would not look good, you know, to other people. So I never admitted anything that was going on with me. Like I hit it all deep down and I just covered it all up. I masked it in any way that I could. Arrogance, cockiness, attitude, whatever I could do, I masked it. So that way I wouldn't show people that I was actually hurting deep down. And I realize now that I've continuously gone through this journey as, as far as looking back on everything, that suppressing that definitely ended up affecting me five, 10, 15 years down the road. So yeah, no, I never talked about that with, I mean, maybe my close, close personal friends, we would talk about stuff, but when you're talking to another kid about stuff, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can really do except for, yeah. Okay. You have somebody to lean on emotionally that can actually be there for you, but then you just end up relying on them. And you know, a fellow 16 year old, one of your peers is only going to be capable of doing so much. And honestly, when you look at a lot of the problems kids are having today, we're probably following that same pattern where kids only open up to other kids and they don't want to talk to anybody who has any type of authoritative influence because they're so afraid of how they might see them that they just hide that as well. Or they just don't know how to open up, period, because 
they only know who they can trust, which is somebody who, who they feel can relate, which is probably a peer, a close friend, you know, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And that's what I did then is I leaned heavily on my close friends. My close friends, they substituted the siblings that I wasn't able to have because my sister passed away so early and she was never able to develop into a fully functioning human being. So my best friends became my siblings or substitutes for them. And I opened up to them. But again, they could only do so much, you know, and with a lot of them who are going through their own shit as well. I mean, you know, it's just it, it has its limitations for the ways that it can actually help you. And you said you had a lot of friends and you were, uh, I guess, quote unquote, called the popular kid, correct? I definitely would, would toss myself into the, the popular crowd conversation. I had a lot of, lot of friends growing up, a ton of friends. I was, what blessed me with the, what probably got me through all of those years was having a lot of friends. I mean, my friends were the kids that were the cheerleaders and the basketball players and the football players and the athletes, the who's who's of the schools. I actually played, uh, I, I uh, was in athletics in junior high and in my first couple of years of high school. So I formed relationships with all these kids early on in my early childhood. And those relationships and friendships extended throughout my adolescence, through college, and to even some of my closest friends today. So yeah, I definitely was, I ran around in those, those circles. And, but you had the popular crowd, you hung out with every single one of, um, I, I guess, quote unquote, the cool kid. Why did you lack confidence then? Why did you feel like no one wanted you? Well, I grew up in a conservative town in West Texas where nobody likes to talk about the things that are going on beneath the surface when it comes to people in their families and their lives. And everything is always focused on the external, you know, how much money your, your parents make or what, uh, you know, what their profession is or how big their house is. You know, the typical things that pretty much every middle American kid or even adult can relate to as far as what signifies their step social status. While I had family that did have, you know, we were middle class, quote unquote, toting the line of upper middle class through various phases of economic upturns and downturns. While we had that history or that background, because my parents got divorced after my sister's death, they never put themselves back on that path to be more financially secure. So I didn't have that big house or a nice car. Hell, my granddad bought me my first car when I was 17. And, you know, it was a, it was seven, eight-year-old Mazda that had its all kinds of car troubles. And, you know, so it was like, I didn't have what a lot of those popular kids had. A lot of those kids, they have what they have, have their social status because it all is very, um, it's almost cyclical. You know, their parents come from a place of means. They become successful. They buy their kids whatever they want. They grow up in a nice house. It looks well-rounded on the outside. They have everything they could ever want. So they have this kind of, it's a, they have an abundance of resources and I didn't have that. Hell, my parents weren't even ever around. So because I didn't have what they had, I never felt like I could relate to them. Now, on a personal level or on an emotional level, sure. And maybe we grew up in the same neighborhoods, you know, back when we were between like seven and 12 years old. So we had history and, you know, we knew each other on a deeper level in that regards. But on a materialistic level, in a way that really matters to a lot of kids between those, in those formative years, between 14, 15 and 17, 18, I didn't have any of that. So because of that, I felt like an outsider all the time. But again, those were things that I tried to hide as best as possible because I didn't want them not including me in any of their social functions, you know, or not including me as part of the crowd or part of them. Mm -hmm. So, and that, of course, that's important to this day. It's important to all kids. 
Did you um, did you go ahead and get a job in high school? Oh, I, I had always worked. I had been working since I was 12, 13. Luckily, my family, they were all business people. So they all owned businesses. So I just worked for my family for, you know, my means of income. So I, I had a job all through all through high school. So, okay, ma- okay. Ma- you know, mainly like, you know, especially my senior year. So going closer to the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, like I worked after school. You know, or on the weekends, I would work pretty much all day, you know, morning shift and a night shift. So that develops my, I guess, work ethic for me to always have a job. So I always had money. So when we wanted to do things that I always had a means to pay for myself and the things that I wanted, you know, buying clothes and, you know, the stupid things, CDs, mm-hmm. you know, video <laughs> games, the things that kids like to buy. <laughs> for those who, does it, CDs nowadays, teenagers don't know what CDs are. Yeah, right. They don't do that. Yeah, this is back in the day, man. This is late '90s, early 2000s. So yeah, back then we had CDs, CD, CD even late players. 2000s. I had yeah, a CD right? in my car. Okay. Yeah. No, we're getting to the point now where kids these days are like have zero concept of what a CD is or a CD <laughs> player. <laughs> but we did. Yeah. Just just for those, and this was like the last of the CD era. I feel. Yeah, I, I, I think a little bit after my, because um, I'm 28, so I think a little bit after, a few years okay. after was the last. Yeah, definitely. And I the, mean, I don't, I don't have a CD player now, so I mean, I'm kind of in that group as well. Yeah, I, I only listen to streaming, streaming services as well. But, streaming, Bluetooth, I, uh, what's the thing called? I, um, you connect your iPhone to it. Um, connect your iPhone sure. and then. It plays in the car. And you, yeah, I think that's, it's just the Bluetooth, I think. No, or there's a, you, actually or, or connect, there, you actually connect. It's iTouch, something, something along those lines. I forgot what it's called. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. There's all kinds of stuff now, nowadays when it comes to that, how technology you, has advanced. Did you go to college? Uh, I did. I didn't finish. So <laughs> kind of like the second chapter of my personal growth journey through the different, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that I went through was right around my junior year in college. So I actually went to ACC here in Austin for about a year and a half. I can't remember if it was a year and a half or two years, between a year and a half, two years. And then I went to Texas State and in San Marcos, Texas State University. And I went there for a year and a half. So a little over three years, I changed my major like several times and I had to retake classes several times just because there's certain stuff that just didn't take and that I just you know weren't interested in. I would drop courses and whatnot but yeah I, I dropped out at a at like right around after the first semester of my junior year mm-hmm. and I went a completely different route like I, I that's what I actually more discovered a bit more of who I was because then I got involved in music and you know followed that path and went to following my dreams and my passions because I was just like man I don't know if this is the right path for me as far as finishing school, getting a degree, getting a nine to five. I was one of those anti nine to fivers, you know, just like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work in office or a cubicle, you know, and do things that just don't interest me and whatnot. So yeah, I went through this phase to where I just didn't know where my future was headed. So I I left school for a little while, got into music and I pursued that for a while until it led me into connecting a little bit deeper with my passions, which ended up being writing and eventually, you know, kind of where I'm at now podcasting multimedia like so i'm i'm still an avid dream chaser i i definitely am a proponent of, of following your dreams and pursuing your passions however that looks however i would be a little bit more smarter about it if i'm sitting there getting guidance or advice to somebody who's younger and curious as to where they're really going to go with their life mm-hmm. journey as of right now be very more be more smart and pragmatic when it comes to following your dreams because if you just go on it like the way that i do it which is or the way that i did it which is the way i guess a lot of people who are in that similar boat do it and just kind of throw caution to the wind, just say, screw it. I'm just going to give this a try. 
that's a that's a hard road in itself, man. There's a lot of hardships that come with that as well. <laughs> what were your goals in uh, high school and middle school? Dude, I was so just trying to get by mentally and emotionally that honestly, now that you even ask are asking me that now, I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, and I didn't care. To be quite honest, I didn't think I'd live past 21. Wow. Like I really, really didn't. I was that that lost and that misguided that I just, I didn't give a damn if I lived past 21. So as far as creating a future for myself, I mean, yeah, whenever I graduated, you know, I started community college. I did it just because everybody else did it because that's what you did. Right. And I had family that was willing to help me out through that. You know, even though my parents were going through their shit, they were still able to be like, Hey, if you go to school, we'll help you with your books. We'll help you pay for your tuition. We'll help you with this as long as you're at least going. Cause my parents didn't even like my dad graduated high school, but my mom didn't like, I'm actually the product of, of a teen pregnancy and a teen marriage. So, you know, my parents didn't get to fulfill any of those traditional conventional means of success. Um, they kind of learned the hard way how to just get through it at the time period that they were in. So like my dad graduated a semester early just so he could graduate because he was scholastically inclined. He was very much an overachiever in school. My mom was pregnant with me, so she dropped out at 15 to have me. So as long as I was going to college, that's all that really was important to my parents. So they couldn't give me any guidance as far as what I should study, what type of career path I should pursue. So I was just kind of doing it because I wanted to be around my friends, and I figured it would give me some type of idea or something to do. Mm-hmm. And it did. It gave me a little bit of interest that I, I you know, that seemed like it would be interesting route to go. So I think the the first, I guess any real idea of what I could have done with my future would have been my first semester at college. I actually studied criminal justice and I wanted to go into the FBI and maybe be like a forensic psychologist or an FBI agent Mm -hmm. doing something along those lines. But that kind of faded real quick when I decided how much work was going to go into that. And I was like, "Ah, I don't think I can do that (laughs) on top of that. I'm a little bit too wild and crazy to be an FBI agent period. I think those are for more of the straight and narrow guys. And I was anything but straight and narrow back then. So Yeah. But yeah, past that, it was just a lot of, a lot of ideas, but no, nothing really concrete set in stone. Yeah. So so when I was younger, I didn't have any goals, really. You're starting to trace your dreams after college. What was your turning point in your life? Was it when you started pursuing music and these different passion projects? Or was it something that happened recently, like your breakup? I would say both of those had very unique impacts at very different times that are all kind of interconnected, obviously, because that's the, my time, that's my journey. But I would say when I left school and started pursuing music, that showed me who I was. And it showed me that, that I didn't have to do what everybody else did just to fit in like had, I had always done. I could actually dive into something that gave my life a little bit more meaning or made, it made me care a little bit deeper about doing something. So once I got deep into that, I followed that path. And the first two or three years gave me something to focus on that was outside of what everybody else wanted for me. And I had to face a, uh, back then it was hip hop oriented, but it was like hip hop, indie and infusion of of different types of genres. So it was actually kind of multifaceted. I just used to call it multi-genre. So it'd be a mixture of rapping, but like different types of melodies that I would include with vocalists that I would connect with. And then like a hip hop electro indie type sound for the production. So as I dove into that and really learned more about music, 
that took a lot of my time and attention. That took all of my focus actually. And finding out that I was more creatively inclined and I should have known this all along because I've always been artistic. That became something that was the most important thing in the world to me. So I didn't care about anything but music. And that gave me something to, 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 to really give me a sense of meaning and developing who I was. And then through that idea of what I could do with music, that led me into developing a stronger sense of spirituality because I found out if I could use music to connect with people and move people and give them something to motivate them the way that music motivated me throughout my entire childhood and adulthood, then, then I would have my place in this world. So I think that became the first turning point. And the relationships and connections that I made in that journey continue to just steer me on that path. Mm -hmm. And how did Unwasted Mind come about? So that one in itself is also a pretty interesting story to follow. So through my, my path through music, writing, spirituality, that's what got me into social media is it was actually through Twitter that I connected with this extended network of people that were all trying to spread these messages of enlightenment and awareness and spirituality. And so How there was a social, was this? this was 2014, 2013, 2014. So it's okay. been about five years, five, six years. Yeah. So the, this group had started a website and this website was catered around spirituality and awareness and enlightenment and elevated levels of consciousness and psychedelics and all these different things, these alternative approaches to basically what is now considered, I would say, you know, wellness and sort of a, you know, an offshoot of personal development. So this is back in the early stages of that. But the social media group was really tied into that. It was, it was people of all different ages from all over the country and even in different parts of the world that had all connected via Twitter. And I got connected with these guys just kind of randomly. One of them reached out to me. They saw that I was using Twitter for, you know, learning about this type of stuff. And they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to get involved with their, what they were trying to develop as a brand. And I became a writer and content creator for their website. And uh, that led me down the next path in my journey. So I learned about all that stuff. I learned, that's where I learned about meditation, where I learned about chakras, where I learned about, uh, you know, the power of psychedelics. And even though I had had experiences with psychedelics before, this taught me a little bit more what that was about. What's well, psychedelics like, for those who don't know? Uh, psychedelics is basically just mind altering substances that are along the lines of something more, um, how do you say it? something like LSD or DMT mm -hmm. or mushrooms. Not that I'm advocating that in any way, you know, whether it's recreational or, or whatever, you know, your experiences, but my experience, my experiences with those gave me a little bit more of that spiritual insight. So gotcha. when I learned about what that purpose served for those different substances that I just tried experimentally, that helped me kind of frame everything a little bit deeper with that. Okay. And uh, that, that eventually being a part of that group, and curating content for their website and learning more about that material ended up being something that I actually uh, sort of take it. I took a liking to it even more so. Mm -hmm. So after that group disbanded two, three years later, everybody went their separate ways, you know, like people always do, like life happens. Um, that stuck with me. So eventually I felt like I wanted to take that and keep doing it somehow in, in some way. So over time through more experience, I just came up with this concept, you know, of like, Hey, what is something that, you could take what you learned through connecting with that, that spiritual group and put it into your life and infuse it and create something for yourself. And it just came to me one day. It's like, yo, man, like unwaste your mind, like unwaste this beautiful, beautiful 
part of who we are that is capable of doing so much. And because so many of us are wasting our time, our energy, our minds, our hearts, our, our spirits on things that aren't giving us any meaning or value, how can I bring it to a point to where we can develop new solutions and understandings as far as to help ourselves and whatever our struggles may be. So it all just kind of came to me, you know, just, it's, I mean, it's, the way things a, always do. <laughs> it's a way of being self, uh, self-aware. Yeah, pretty much. The impact you can make. Yeah. So yeah, I started that website a couple of years ago. I think it's been about two and a half years. Two and a half and years from, ago. Okay. Yeah. So from then on, I've just been building it ever since then. And then when did you want to commit suicide? Oh, dude, I've had so many times in my life that I've felt that low. You know, if I were to really look back, there were times when I was a teenager that I felt that low and I felt like no one gave a damn. There were times, you know, 19, 20, 21, when I felt that low. There were times in my mid-20s, whenever I was pursuing music and things weren't working out for me and I felt like it was just never going to get, my life was never going to steer towards a direction that ever gave me any type of fulfillment. I would get that low. And then after my breakup, man, that's when everything came to a head. That's when I was at my worst and I realized I needed to do something about this because if I kept feeling this way throughout the rest of my life, I don't know if I'll make it. And that, yeah, was, so, I mean, that was last year? That was last year, man. Suicidal ideation has definitely been something that I have battled with for a good chunk of my life. And How did you get over that hurdle of not committing suicide? So for me personally, and again, this is a topic that is very, you have to be very careful how you approach it because everybody sees it in a different light. And it's funny mm-hmm. you mentioned this because a, a, a friend of mine who I just reconnected with recently because another friend that we grew up with just passed away. Um, you know, this discussion of suicide came up and I think it was, uh, it was Chester Bennington, I think the lead singer from Lincoln park who yeah. had committed suicide a couple of years ago or a year ago, however long yeah, it's been. A couple of years ago. Anyways. Yeah. We were listening to like satellite radio or something in the car and uh, Lincoln park came on. And of course he said something about, you know, the lead singer. He's like, man, this guy committed suicide. That's so crazy. And then he, you know, he went ahead and just he made the comment like, man, I don't understand suicide. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, it's like, maybe you just never been that low before. And he looks at me kind of like he had knew he just tapped into a subject that he wasn't sure if he was prepared to go into. And I said, I understand if you don't get it. I was like, but honestly, man, I understand it because I have been that low before. And uh, for me, it was last year when I realized that I had fallen into this depression that had led me literally when you fall into a place of deep, deep, dark depression. And all the things that come with it, whether it's loneliness or anxiety or a heartbreak or trauma or, or past abuse or abandonment, and I've dealt with most of that, it literally is paralyzing. It, it drops you to your knees to the point where you're, you're immersed in pain and you have no way out. And every single day is hell. You're living in hell. Whatever that struggle is. It is the worst feeling a human being can ever have. And when I realized day in, day out for weeks that it wasn't getting any better, I had to do something. So I did the only thing that I figured I would be able to do, which was I called the suicide hotline. From that point on, it led me to start seeking professional counseling. And you know, I, I went ahead and looked, looked up resources for mental health counseling crisis centers You know, here where I'm at in Austin. And yeah, I just went to, you know, I, I scheduled an intake, talked to a few of their people, their staff members. They had packets and resources available to, for you to seek different types of professional help, counseling, or therapy. And I just went ahead and started emailing pretty much everyone that I felt like I could probably maybe get some help with. Luckily, I had a few friends that were motivating me with that. They were like, hey, dude, if you do feel like this is becoming too much for you to handle, 
and that you're going down this path. We would hate to lose you. So please, please, for your own sake and for the sake of, you know, you staying with us, get some help if this is getting that bad. So yeah, man, I did that. And then I got into counseling and, uh, you know, started seeing a therapist and seeing what that looks like. Then I actually started getting into the whole professional or personal development, personal growth, self-help um, arena of just things that I was learning about. So, you know, reading more material that was dedicated to that articles, books, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. I pretty much dedicated myself to, to, to getting better in any way that I could feeling trying to find a way to cope with this pain. And then I realized while going through all that, talking to therapists, talking to mental health professionals, talking to, to spiritual healing practitioners. I mean, I talked to a whole wide ranging array of people that all had different backgrounds. You name it. I talked to that type of person or somebody that had some professional professional tie in that field. The more stuff they started feeding me as far as information, stories they would share with me, me connecting with people, whether it would be online or offline, support groups. I started to realize that like, okay, I'm not the only one going through this and everybody has their story. It makes you feel less alone and it makes you, it motivates you once you learn that there's other people who have it maybe way, I don't want to say worse because I don't like comparing and contrasting people's pain, but people that have, to, have had to deal with difficulties that you couldn't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. It puts things in a perspective, man. So when I took the, that action to do all that, it just continued to become something that would motivate me to, to get out of that, that pit that I was in, that pit of despair. That's and powerful. So, yeah, it, it's been a journey since then, man. And it, it's to this day become sort of the crux, the centerpiece behind what I'm still doing, whether it be Unwasted Mind or whether it be anything else that I have my hands in. Because I know where I was at this time last year where I'm at now, I honestly can't even believe that I'm talking to you. So the fact that I'm able to talk to people about this type of stuff gives me that under that underlying meaning or purpose for all of it. And that it, it will all eventually lead you somewhere that can hopefully guide you into a direction that you maybe didn't expect or ever see coming but it will lead to something way more powerful and beautiful than you could ever have imagined. If you can just find your way to make taking that first step, but that first step is a hard one. It's something that probably not everybody is willing to take. And then you have to X out all the things that are holding you back. All of your vices, whatever they may be, drugs, drinking, toxic relationships, toxic people, toxic friendships, behavior, um, thoughts, patterns, you know, all of it, your environment, you have to change everything about what you're doing in your life. If you really want to, to, to change how you feel and you have to analyze all of it, it doesn't matter who it's with, whether it's your parents, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your close friends, it doesn't matter. You have to change how you view all of those situations and reframe them and reapproach them in a way that's going to help you get better. Because if you don't, you ignore all of this shit it will eventually continue to take away from what you're trying to do. And however, however serious your situation is, that's how serious you need to take your approach to it and the solutions that you're going to try to develop over time. And it looks different for everybody. So I can only speak as personal experience, but considering all the hell that I've gone through and everything that I've had to deal with, it's not easy to do this work. It's something most people are afraid to do. You know, they don't want to go see a counselor or a therapist. They don't want to, to call that hotline because they feel like maybe it looks bad on them. And it's like, yo, dude, what's the alternative? 
you know, you carrying this with you every day from here on out and you continuing to just to fall into these, these patterns of just downward spirals, you know, that affect all your relationships. Like, you know, you, that's, that's not fun. That's not a way to live. I've talked to so far two people. One person actually tried to commit suicide and the other person uh, planned their suicide. And they both told me, uh, the person who actually tried to commit suicide, the next morning when he woke up, he regretted the, uh, regretted the decision immediately. He said, why did I just try doing that? And the second person actually planned his suicide to drive his car off of the bridge right when his um, newborn was born. Oh, and then wow. he decided not to do it. And everything just starts aligning for both of them. They start getting into personal development. They start having mentors. They start actually improving their mindset. Not that the situation didn't get better, but their mindset got better and how they viewed a lot of stuff got better. And I actually interviewed this other guy who was um, born with dwarfism, got paralyzed at 15 during a surgery. And his father told him perspective. There's someone out there that always has something worse. Not that it takes away how you're feeling is bad because you're allowed to feel bad. But people that was in there in the hospital with him had it worse than him. And he said that, he said, perspective can change everything. And it's crazy how you got into personal development after this whole depression and after this whole breakup because that's how a lot of people get better. They just get into personal development. They start reading. They start making goals. Is that how you started to get better? You just created more? I think for me personally, and, and, and the amount of people that I've connected with in this journey, especially in the last six months, since I kicked off the podcast and since I kind of dove headfirst into this, uh, a lot of their, their stories are very similar as far as the things that they had to go through that led them to where they're at. And for me, and I would say a lot of them, it sounds like that they felt the same thing. Man, a switch just, just turns on you know, inside of you. It's like something inside you just kicks on and says, dude, either you, you know, either you survive this and you come out of this or you die. You know, it's literally, it's you live or you die. And how do you really want the next, at least the next couple of years of your life to go? And then looking for the, how the next 10 years of your life is going to go. So what do you need to change about what you're doing to make sure that, that you don't stay stuck in this forever? Because you won't make it out if you stay stuck in this forever. So once that switch turns on, you do everything that you think you can do to pull yourself out of it. It's a matter of turning that into like just habits, habits. And it, it, it looks different for everybody. I mean, people will throw all types of different advice to you, you know, come up with a gratitude journal, um, you know, listen to motivational YouTube videos, read personal development books, listen to podcasts, whatever, whatever their, whatever advice they're offering you it's only because all of those things, they will all offer you various little tidbits, various little nuggets you can pull, you know? And of course, if you can talk to close people, you know, develop, I would say the most important thing would be to actually form stronger bonds with those closest to you, people you can trust. And I'm not saying you need to have 25 people that you're always talking about this stuff. I'm talking about come up with one to three people that are the closest to you, a friend, a mentor, a loved one, a family member, Open up to them and say, hey, I need 
somebody in my corner pushing me every step of the way because I can't do this on my own and admit I can't do this on my own. And you remind that person that way they can give you anything that can help you through that. And that's what people did for me. And the more people that actually care about you, the more people that show that like, Hey, you're struggling. They acknowledge that and they empathize with that. And they're not going to brush it off. They're not going to blow you off and act like it's not that big of a deal. That will remind you that you at least matter to somebody and you can count on them to be there whenever you need them. So for me, it took not just those things I was doing for myself, but always having somebody in my corner that I could talk to about this stuff and give them updates every week. Like, Hey, you know, this week I did this, I, I read that, I listened to this podcast and it, it, and it motivated me to do this, you know, writing down your goals, writing down your plans for what you really want to do. And it doesn't, and when it comes to goals, it doesn't even have to be anything major. Like, oh, I want to start my own company. I want to write a book. Like, yeah, those are great to have in long-term, but for the short-term, I want to smile tomorrow. I want to laugh. I want to be happy tomorrow. I want to go through tomorrow and at least have half of it you know, be okay through half of it. I want to at least not feel like I, I, I don't want to live small things, you know, like little things you can do for yourself. I want to actually hang out with a friend tomorrow and have lunch. You know, those are goals, man, you know, and, and when somebody's dealing with depression or suicidal ideation or, or whatever their, their issue may be, those goals are major to have, you know, and for somebody who doesn't have those issues, yeah, it's not a big deal to meet your friends for lunch. For somebody who feels like no one gives a damn about them, Meeting somebody for lunch or just cooking dinner and, and inviting a friend over, that could mean life or death for them, man. That could, that could literally turn the page to the, another chapter in their life that looks totally different from the day before. So, yeah, you, you turn that into like something habitual, and eventually it'll just continue to just be a force that drives you and pushes you day in, day out. And Matt, um, you mentioned that to form a circle, at least one to three people that you can trust and actually have them push you and where you can even talk about your problems. But what if a teenager has nothing, literally nothing, family left them or um, they can't trust their family, they don't have any friends, they feel like there's nothing left. How do they find this close group of people that they could um, rely on and they don't have money to go to therapy? That's a really good question, man. And I'm going to have to be very careful about how they answer that, how I answer that, because I don't want to give any advice that would be, um, that would in any way steer them in the wrong direction. But I would say, then start with one person, find one person, make one person your goal. It takes one, literally one. And if you have nobody, then Start with a stranger online. Social media is there, man. You know, at least, and even if you don't know that person, find one person who can be that mentor from afar, whoever it may be, you know, whether it's somebody like who, who has a personal development, personal development brand that you follow on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you know, start somewhere that, that helps you to create a blueprint and then Make it a goal for you to be open enough for you to connect with somebody who can relate, you know, and then find people. I mean, we have social media now. If it's going to be used for anything, especially when you have mental health issues, use it for that. Make that a goal. I'm going to meet somebody through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, or Snapchat, whatever it is that you use every day that gives you your entertainment or it gives you your means of connecting with the world. 
find somebody out there who, who you feel you can identify with. Because I guarantee you, if there's anything I will tell that person, you are not alone. I promise you that. Find it's that one person title. out there that. My book sorry? title. I'm writing, I'm writing my, the title of my book is called Never Fight Alone. Yeah, exactly. No, they're perfect because you are not alone. So if you find that one person who, who you feel like will at, you can at least share your story with, you know, let that be your first goal. And once you start sharing that story with that one person, I guarantee you, you become more open in that way. You will start finding somebody else who can relate, who can identify, who may be in your close proximity, who may be in your area. Google your life like Google your everyday life, make that your goal. Like I'm going to Google my way into finding somebody. I don't care how it, how, you know, how it turns out. If I got to drive two hours away to the next city, if I got to jump on a bus, if I got to go somewhere away from where I'm at now to connect with somebody else who can relate to with where I'm at now. So I can, I can form a connection with somebody else. You know, it's a step-by-step process. You know, it takes that first step. You know, that very first message you send to somebody on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it may be to somebody else. From that point on, it's a matter of just continuing to feed that. And, and yeah, man, take it moment by moment. It is a moment by moment experience. It literally is. And it, it is convince yourself that you're going to, for the next hour, not cry. You're not going to fall into that pit of despair, not be depressed, not feel this way. And then take that hour and stretch it or hell the next five minutes. I had to do it within five to 10 to 15 minute intervals. And if somebody, whoever it was out of all the people that I've connected with in this journey, somebody told me that they said, dude, just get through the next five minutes. If you can get to the next five minutes, you can turn that into half an hour. If you can turn that into two hours and eventually half a day and then a full day and then two days, then eventually you'll come to find out that like, yo, one of the one, you know, eventually half of your week will end up being okay. It's like, yo, I actually had three good days this week. And then I had four good days. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you're looking at you. Like I had more good days and bad days. That's a hell of a lot better than every day being a bad day. Because for me, every day was misery for six months easily for six months. I was, like I said, I was in hell and or do people, uh, teenagers can do what you did too. call the suicide hotline. And I, I can guarantee the suicide hotline is your best bet if you feel like you have nobody because those people are trained professionals and this is what they do every day and there's nothing you can't tell them they have not heard before. Mm-hmm. And it will open you up in ways that you couldn't even imagine. And if you're a teenager, dude, there are youth services around you. There are, there really are. You know, there, there's, I know there's like the YMCA is still around. I know they have youth services. I know there's churches that also do this type of stuff. And even if you don't think you're religious or anything like that, the reason why churches and people in whose form these communities exist is so they can help you in some way. You don't have to believe in God or be a Christian. None of that even matters. When it comes to you being a human being who's suffering in pain, there are organizations out there that are founded upon this idea that are, that are just for you. And like you just said, you don't have to fight alone. It's not easy. Matter of fact, most people can't do this alone. I couldn't do it alone. I'm not here talking to you because I went through all this my, on my own and just, you know, I'm some superhero that found my way out of this madness and this pain and despair. It takes a village, man. It takes a village no matter how old you are. It took a village for me with all the shit that I've been through in my life. It took people being there for me of different types, you know, but you got to be, you got to be okay. You got to be okay with, with showing that you know, that vulnerable side of yourself, you know, it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be miserable, man. We've all been there. You know, we're all still there in some way, shape or form. So yeah, yeah man, just, just misconception for boys and men not to cry and not to feel sad. 
I, I don't like it because it kind of like it puts this pressure on the guy that they should hold everything in and it's okay it's okay to feel the way you feel the strongest men in our society in any society yeah. have broken down into tears and buried their face in their hands and you know they would they may not tell very many people matter of fact these days because personal development personal development has become such a a, a wide widespread thing that people are talking about uh, more guys are sharing their, their journeys and I can promise you the toughest guys that you will ever meet have, have cried their eyes out you know nobody gets through this without feeling like they failed in some way and and, and crying is it's a powerful means of, of of expressing that energy getting that sad energy out you know you have to cleanse yourself in some way it is a very cleansing cathartic experience so you know be okay with crying in your bedroom or in your living room by yourself for a little bit. And then after you can wipe away that last tear, be like, okay, like where can I go after that? I've cleansed this energy from me and what can I do now? And that's whenever you start, you know, start writing stuff down, open up that book, listen to that podcast. And then bam, like I said, make, make these things your part of your daily day in day out rituals. And I promise you, you will eventually, you will be placed on a path to take you to, you know, to a better place. And Matt G, uh, do you have any last tips? I would just say, don't be afraid to open up, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what it is you're holding in, don't be afraid to open up. If you're hurting, it's not good to keep that stuff closed in, you know, don't hold on to it. The more you hold on to it, the harder it's going to be to let it go, you know, connect with people. People are, we have to, if there's anything that I've learned through all of my journey, you have to have people in your life in some way, shape or form. And it needs to be more than just a social, you know, just a screen on your phone or, or social media. It needs to be real, real people. And, you know, figure out who you really are as a person deep down, not, not the identity that you've created for yourself as far as your profession or your hobbies or, you know, this idea of who you are. No, who are you as a human being? Recognize that. And how can you make that person better? You know, and, you know, don't be afraid to admit where your struggles are at because that's where you turn it all around. The minute you admit what's going on with you, the minute, the minute you be open about your pain, you know, start with just journaling it, then open up to a family member or a friend. And then from that point on, man, make this a part of something that becomes a success story for yourself because it, there is a silver lining. There always is. I love it. Open up and be vulnerable. Yeah, man, without a doubt. And where can people find you? So you can connect with me online, mainly on Twitter. Uh, at Fire From Within is my handle, but my display name is Unwasted Mind. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Unwasted Mind. And if you want to connect with the actual brand, you can listen to the podcast, Unwasted Mind and UnwastedMind.com. So, I mean, like I'm on Twitter pretty much every day. You can check me out on there. You know, uh, reply to one of my tweets, send me a DM, whatever. I'll reply, you know, give me a day or so or a few hours or a couple of days. I'm not always, always active because I do have stuff going on, you know, in the real world still. <laughs> um, but eventually I'll get around to you. So, yeah, not without a doubt. I love it. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, if you haven't done so, go ahead, subscribe to the Teenage Impact also, don't forget to rate and review if you are on iOS, trying to impact as many teens as possible and inspire them to get over their struggles in life. Thanks, Matt. Hey, man, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on here and uh, 
really looking forward to listening to it and uh, good luck to all your listeners out there. I'm right there with you. Awesome.